Mach 3 Gimme Crew Show on 2, 3, and 4. There's no line 1, actually. 6, 3. Mach 3, give me start line 2. 5 electric. Mach 3. Mach 3, give me start line 1 and crew show on 7 and 9. Line 1, crew show 7 and 9, Mach 3. Do something. I hate that. Super Ops, Line 3, Red Ball, Avionics. Super Ops, Line 7 is Code 3 for Flickas. Fuck. Hey, so I started a Patreon because frankly, this stuff's getting expensive. Nothing will change the podcast or the blog if you don't subscribe, but if you want early access to episodes, monthly AMAs, episode shoutouts, voting on podcast topics, and all kinds of 20 Years Done gear, head over to patreon.com slash 20 years done. This month's top tier Patreon shoutout goes to Robbie Walker, Travis Barnes, Kevin Traw, JT Owens, Delinda Baker, and Matt Jones. Thanks for the support. Hey, so like most episodes, my guests and I are trying to talk about their experiences or a subject that has many layers. This episode, I'm joined by Ashley Grugan to talk about her experience as a bisexual, mixed race woman in the Air Force under Don't Ask, Don't Tell and thereafter. Some of the language is pretty harsh. But we use it to illustrate the reality of thousands of service members over the last century in the language that was casually used around them. I take no pleasure in these words, but listener discretion is advised. Okay, so today we're joined by Ashley Grugan, the creator of the vlog and blog, Die of a Mixed Woman. She's been on multiple episodes. She's usually my go-to when I need to peel apart um, some important issues that I just don't have enough information for. So she's great at filling in the gaps. You probably remember her from the Women in Maintenance discussion. She hosted a discussion um, on sexual assault, sexual harassment in the military. It was a great panel discussion. She was on the careerism episode, volunteerism episode. Um, she pointed out that the Air Force is obsessed with image over substance, and we prioritize the wrong things. Uh, she talked culture and maintenance. That was the last episode she talked, which was coming off of those multiple uh, culture maintenance culture episodes. So... Uh, thank you, Ashley, for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd also like to point out that Chris joined me on one of my vlog episodes talking about the book White Virgility. Oh, that's right. I did. Yeah. So check that out as well. It's a lot of fun. Um, and so, which is an important point because today we're going to be talking about diversity. Yeah. And how it's um, kind of seen as a dirty word. <laughs> is that a fair like shot across the bow. I kind of like, I'm not a fan of the word, so I know what you mean, but it's like, it's one of those kind of like the word toxic is like the hot word. That's diversity has kind of been that word for a couple of decades. You know what I mean? And then like with the, what's that shit they did with the uh, job applications? Um, You're talking about like affirmative action? Yeah, affirmative action, like, it's kind of, to me, it seems like it's got, like, too closely associated with that instead of, like, what it actually means to have diversity at a work center. Yeah, typically when I hear diversity, um, the implication almost immediately is that um, whoever that person was isn't qualified and right. um, they were hired because of a want for diversity. Right. Yes, so, like a, a petty hire or something like that, or like to fill a quota. Right. Yeah. So first, I want to start by saying, you know, as a white 
heterosexual male, I don't have, you know, I do my best. Uh, but the reality is I have blind spots, right? So uh, part of uh, making me smarter or understanding the world better is asking people that come from different backgrounds to share their experiences. So, I mean, I highly recommend you listen to the women in maintenance episode because the reality is I did 20 years in aircraft maintenance and I never had to deal with a lot of the things that the panel members, including Ashley, dealt with. That's episode five. And that kind of opened up my mind to the idea of, I wonder what else um, I didn't experience because of who I was at the time, yeah. which brings me to the conversation today. We're going to kind of talk diversity broadly. And then I also want to talk about, uh, since it's Pride Month, I want to talk about LGBTQ issues uh, in the military before Don't Ask, Don't Tell, after, and then also in, in aircraft maintenance in particular. But first, I want to kind of say um, thank you, Ashley, for coming on and taking time out of your day to kind of share your experiences, um, to kind of augment my ignorance, if that makes sense. And <laughs> ignorance is not necessarily a bad thing. It's wallowing in ignorance is a bad thing, right? Like Absolutely. there's things I don't know, and you're here to kind of give me your perspective. Uh, but then also, like, if I'm going to have a, a podcast about diversity or LGBTQ issues, I'm not the person to give um, – I can give a, a layman's opinion or I can say this is what I know, like t help me understand what's right or wrong with it. But I can't speak as an authority on this topic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a, a lift for you coming on and kind of walking through this stuff. Uh, but we have also we've talked offline too. we have a really good relationship where she knows I'm approaching everything in good faith. So there's no gotchas and there's nothing like that. I'm just trying to get better and kind of pass along that info. So the first thing I want to talk about is um, a few episodes ago, I did uh, one on Beards in the Air Force, episode uh, 33, I believe it was. Um, yep, with uh, Vincent Pendarvis, a guy that used to work for me that had really bad PFB and had shaving waivers his whole career and, you know, kind of tore his face up and has a, you know, a lot of issues with it. And the whole point of that episode was walking through, like, Beards in, Beards in the Air Force is not a vanity thing. It's a, it's a medical thing. There's discrimination that goes along with it. There are a lot of special duties won't let you have a shaving waiver. You have to get pictures retaken. And uh, probably in the last, I don't know, like six or seven months, uh, women in the military have had been allowed to take their hair down out of buns and have like shoulder length ponytails and things like that. And their justification was um, that it was like pulling their, giving them migraines, giving them headaches causing hair loss along the edges and things like that. Like there was real effects from that. The medical term for that is alopecia. Yes. There you go. So they had a legitimate sort of medical claim. And I think I've been, again, I'm not, I wasn't a woman in the military, but I think I've been hearing about women complaining about the hair for a long time. Right. I mean, you were, Oh my God. When did you join the military again? I joined um, March of 2010, but I grew up in the military and I was also an ROTC and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I had, I was wearing a uniform for like four years before I even joined. <laughs> so how far back do you remember the hair requirements being an issue for women's service members? Since before I joined, like, and I can tell you even in ROTC, I, I kind of hated it myself because um, I can't tell you the amount of pain that is caused having to put our hair into those buns as tightly as you do. I mean, my eyes would be hurting at the end of the day and it's like hard to read. It's hard to focus. There's shit's always like pulling 
like your hair out of the bun. And then someone's so quick to be like, Oh, you need to fix your hair. And I'm like, who the fuck are you come fix it for me? You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you yeah, see this stuff? And, you and know? also your hair naturally is obviously curly. So how much extra effort did you have to put in compared to somebody that had straight thin hair? So especially when my hair was longer, it would take me about half an hour to make my bun like half an hour to just brush my hair down and the amount of product that you have to use, which doesn't help with anything on your scalp, obviously like your scalp is your skin. So the shit that you're putting on your hair and onto your scalp is eating that up. It's drying your hair out. It's making it brittle. Um, or it's, you know, keeping it so that it's uh, unable to hydrate properly and stuff like that. And over time, it's just, it got to the point where I didn't want to wear my hair any other way, like outside of work, um, because I, I kind of couldn't, cause it, it would break off in certain places. My, the shape of my hair looked like crap and, you know, stuff like that. Like it's, it's so it does damage. Right. And obviously I was not like aware of all these layers while I served and I served for 20 years as a section chief and all these things. Um, I'm not sure if it was brought to my attention and I just didn't understand all the, the issues or if it just wasn't brought to my attention because it, maybe the, the women were frustrated that it wouldn't change and there was no reason to say anything and certainly i didn't have the power to change anything right it was more likely that we because i myself didn't say anything about it i mean we would and when women were together we would you know we would have conversations about it or like make a joke about it and pass but you know the the culture in the military is just shut up in color yes. you know so you what what are you going to say about the regulations like you know your first sergeant didn't write the regs your commander didn't write the regs like this is all the way at the secretary of the air force or you know whoever but you know signed and sealed by the secaf so there's not much that like talking about it and bitching about it wasn't really kind of an option especially because i'm actually really glad that we're talking about this i have a lot to say go <laughs> one of the things that used to piss me off was the male innate desire to comment on our appearance in uniform and never like the it, it wouldn't matter if they were on point with their appearance or not but the fact that someone felt the need to come up to me in the middle of my work day on the flight line and say something to me about my hair that took me forever to get it into that bun and now in order for me to be professionally appearance you know to have my professional appearance i have to go go to the stop what i'm doing go to the bathroom fix my hair because you said like for what and that's so weird because the air air force is much is, is is so focused on substance over appearance it's so strange that that's that was your experience substance over appearance. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's but weird I'm too is like i legitimately didn't know like skirt length hair length i didn't know any of that stuff i was like i kind of don't care we like, had to know all of it Right. We have to know every single fucking detail. We have to know the exact colors that were listed. I, I'm no longer in, but it's still, I'm sure, prevalent for women that are serving right now. You have to know every single thing that the AFI says that you are allowed to do and not allowed to do. The specific colors that you could put in your hair or couldn't put in your yeah, hair. Can we talk about natural hair color real quick? Because I think I understand natural hair color. And I think I explained it um, to my partner, but I'm not sure if I explained it right. So I love that, uh, you know, straighten me out if I'm wrong. Um, natural hair color. I think it would itemize in the AFI be like blonde, brunette, uh, brunette, black, uh, red, orange, you know, like 
the human spectrum of hair color. But I think, I, I don't know if I heard it or if it was like an unspoken rule, but if you were like a black person, you couldn't get your hair dyed blonde or red because it wasn't your natural hair color. Is that? So originally, well, I, I can't say originally, but when I first joined it, the wording of the AFI was very specific like that, that said that had to be your natural hair color. And then later it changed and it loosened up the reins. And it said that you could, um, it said a natural hair color. And then it listed specifically like, you know, bright red is, you know, fire instruments and no go or whatever. Right. However, it also said once it did say, you know, a natural hair color, not yours specifically. It also did say that it had to be complementary to your skin tone, which is subjective. That's wild. As fuck. Because I have natural red hair. Mm -hmm. You don't always see it, but mm -hmm. like in the sun, if I spend a lot of time out in the sun, I get mm -hmm. natural red that comes out. My dad's is straight up ginger. My brother has red in his beard. You know what I mean? Like so originally it said it had to be your natural hair color and then later it said a natural hair color that that did what with your tone was that your skin was comp complimentary to your skin tone it also said the same thing about uh nail polish it had to be complimentary to your skin tone that's wild okay which again is subjective as fuck that seems stupid to me i've seen white girls walk around with candy red nail polish on or dye their hair like fire engine red and no one would say anything to them but if i dyed my hair red to pay homage to my ginger-headed father yeah. then someone would be like oh that's not your natural hair color i'm like you don't know my natural hair color i dyed it brunette i've dyed it black you have no idea what my natural hair color is okay <laughs> so thanks for that uh so i was pretty close maybe not as precise that's good to know that at least i wasn't crazy um so uh, recently, women have gotten the hair standards relaxed. They can now have uh, ponytails. I think it's down to the shoulders. And I think even very recently, there were some issues, especially with um, different natural hairstyles, where it was like they, they had like a it had to be within a certain narrowness. And that's not feasible for for curly hair or sort of thick hair. And they expanded it so it can kind of display outward. Like yeah. that's a good advance that women probably didn't think would ever happen, right? I mean, you said you're like, I didn't even bother because I knew it wouldn't change, right? Yeah, and I'll say, I want to throw this in there real quick because there was also a section in our regulations as well that told you specifically how you could braid your hair. And it had a very specific measurement of the amount of space between each braid that you were allowed to have. Like it was very, very detailed. And it for women of color... Yeah. It was very hindering for our natural hair types. So, so yeah, but yes, we this is a big one. So now that there's a big now there's a big movement, um, and what's what's a little bit interesting is um, it seems like this beards in the Air Force movement, which I'm I'm full on. Like there should be beards in the Air Force. I think it's ridiculous if if you can have all these religious and medical carve outs at this point, just fucking set the standard quarter inch, half inch, whatever it is, and let people grow and call it a day and avoid VA disability claims, profiles, all these things, right? Um, but it seems like this Beards in the Air Force momentum sprung up when, um, and I could be wrong, but it seemed to at least get a lot more attention when women got their hair standards relaxed. And, uh, and there's 
been almost i feel like there's been almost no movement on beards being sort of accepted and very often senior force leadership is like no we're not going to no we're not going to consider it no 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 and i see a lot of people getting frustrated i think a lot of men are getting frustrated that that there are senior leaders that are women in the military that are that are not listening to what they're saying about their beards. Like, I get it. That's fucking frustrating when it's like you have a real medical condition and there's discrimination cooked right into it. And you're trying to get some changes and it's a, it's a reasonable ask. And this, these leaders aren't listening, but here's what I'll say. Um, welcome to when you're, it's like, it's basically welcome to, when your gender isn't in charge, it turns out that your issues are not important. And that's and that's not even like a knock. That's that's how human nature is, right? I personally want to give that knock, but I do fully support the beard movement 100%. Yeah. But it is nice for you to say something like that out loud because that is something that we have been dealing with the entirety of our lives with a patriarchal type of society and a patriarchal 100% patriarchal, you know, government and military system that we have and the rules and regulations that are very discriminatory as we, I, you know, what I just listened and what you just listed combined straight up 100% discriminatory, but it, it is nice to hear someone say that because the suffering that women and people of color go through because someone isn't speaking up from them, you know, because there's not that leadership, there's not that diversity coming back right. full circle. There's not that diversity at the top of the chain to speak up for those of us at the bottom of it. And that's really the point I was making, right? Like, I think a lot of men that are pushing for, for beards feel like they're not heard and that, that senior female leaders in the military don't know what it's like to have these problems with the beard so they feel like this isn't fair like they don't know and i think that's the point of this whole podcast is what value does diversity bring to the table in a professional environment at, at any level right um so i think the i want to i want to break it down a little bit more so women were ignored largely for any hair issues and then you started getting more women in senior leadership positions. They did like a whole committee to really explore it and talk about it. And now they're getting changes because there are women in positions of power that are bringing this life experience and the things like it, if you were chief master of the Air Force or if you were this, let's go SECAF. If you were SECAF for a day and I was SECAF for a day, I feel like we would do very different things. Most Even likely. though we both were in maintenance, we both worked on F-16s, we both care about service member suicides, we care about the culture of maintenance, the resources, we, we would probably be aligned on a lot of general professional things. But I feel like you and I's priorities would be radically different because you're a woman of color and I'm a white man, right? I mean, is that fair? I, well, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've thought about it, actually, for myself once. If I was... You know, because I was doing a lot of research on, you know, AFIs in general when I was still active duty, just because I had to, what I was doing when I was working for staff, it was just a lot of information happening. We were trying to make requests for um, something outside of the scope. Like exceptions of policy and stuff? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. I'm brain dead, apparently. Um, But I thought about that one day and there are a lot of things that I wanted to instantly change 
first off, professionally speaking, I would get rid of so much training. (laughs) I just want to say that for all my training people that listen to this, I would get rid of so much shit. But, um, definitely one of the first things I've always thought about was, you know, the, the, you know, hair, the uniforms, another big one for women recently also has been the change in uniforms because they have, they've literally been suffocating us. Oh yeah. Let's talk about there's now female specific body armor. Yes. There's maternity flight suits. Yes. Like, and this is baby Jesus. And again, when did I think women yeah. should have different body armor than men? When did I think that? Right. When I saw the I, article, it I said, mean, even coveralls yeah. like that alone, just that zipper thing and having to wear all the way in some places and being able to fold it in half and others like now it's a problem for women who work on the flight line because if I have to piss, I have to take the whole freaking thing off, you know, yep. so it's like. But yeah, I definitely thought about, you know, like the hair, the uniforms. And one of the things I did always, especially when I became a UFPM and I was looking at profiles was getting rid of the beard bullshit, like, you know, keeping it neat. I think a neatly looking, a neatly trimmed and groomed beard is just as professional looking as someone who's shaved. Yep. So there's still, you know, limits, just like there's still limits with the hair changes or whatever. But that was definitely one of those things because what i'm i i looked at profiles regularly and who's getting these profiles it's a bunch of men of color who are struggling and it's not you know it's not just something that's a little bit uncomfortable this is something that's causing you know further problems with a condition with a skin condition Mm -hmm. by forcing them to shave and things like that so i mean you're talking infection you're talking there's there's a whole bunch of things that go along with that okay so you would do you would do different things. I would do different things, and we are informed by our lived experiences, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's what diversity. That's essentially what diversity is. Even though if you and I had equal ranks, equal education background, equal things, it still doesn't matter because your life experiences are different from my life experiences, and I might be uh, a, a much more understanding of issues with men. You would be much more understanding of issues with women. But that's where you need diversity in leadership positions because the reality is I, w- I would just lack the lived experience. So I want to kind of also transition and talk about um, LGBTQ, um, both in the military and in maintenance. So you joined in 2010 mm-hmm. and that was before the repeal of don't ask, don't tell, I believe. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you talk about your background? Because I know, I think you've talked about it on a few episodes. I think probably the women in maintenance episode as well. But can you kind of talk about your background and 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 what what your experience is with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and just you know LGBTQ in the military broadly, and then we'll get more specific. Gladly, since it's Pride Month, um, I will say that when the Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal policy um, was dropped, like it was official and everything, I was stationed in Italy um, at Aviano, and the minute the email came out. I ran around the flight line screaming, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. <laughs> at the top of my lungs, just running around like a lunatic screaming, I'm gay, because no one could do anything about it. Yeah, It was liberating. It was so, it was fantastic. Um, so if you guys didn't already know, I'm gay. <laughs> um, I'm bisexual. I came out to my parents when I was 16. Um, my experience experience in the military a lot of people assume for people that are bisexual just because i'm like married to my husband that i'm like stuck 
as a, you know, in a heterosexual relationship, but I'm still bisexual. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, you know, kiss and tell about the women I've been with and that's no one's business, but, um, people like to question it. So I just wanted to put that out there. Okay. Um, I had a friend, even when I put it out on my, um, on the diary that, you know, my screen that said mixed bisexual veteran, Mm -hmm. they were like, I didn't know that you were bi. And I was like, yeah, dude, like we went to high school together. How'd you not know that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's really wild that you told that story that when the email dropped, you, you ran out because when that dropped, I think it was around, what was around 2011, 2012 or something. It was right in there. I'm sorry. I can't remember. But I remember, I think I was either a flight chief or assistant flight chief. And I was so naive that I literally thought when that roll, when that day came in roll call, I was like, I bet there's going to be somebody that's going to come out like right away. Right. Yeah. And I went to roll call and nothing happened. And then I sat in my office and I was waiting for somebody to come in, not anybody in particular. I was like, somebody, I was like, the odds say someone in this unit is gay for sure. There's like 150 people here. Right. And I was sitting in my office like waiting. I'm like, I'm ready to to do this. And the ca- the day came and went and it was like nothing happened. Oh. And then I realized it's like we have created a hostile environment for for anything that's not heterosexual for my whole time in the military that Nobody's going to want to just because it's legal now doesn't mean that it's not still hostile. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I expected someone to do what you did run around saying I'm gay, I'm gay <laughs> and they didn't. Um, and I and I realized later that it was because um, it's a really hostile environment to to gay people. And I want to kind of break that down a little bit. Like legitimately. You could use homophobic slurs at work with absolute impunity it happened all the time frequently like beyond frequently right yeah <laughs> it was in almost every conversation all certainly when you and that was even in the building i'm talking in the building oh yeah and then when you're out on the line on swing shift when no one's around it's just everywhere right oh yeah oh yeah i mean it was i would say that it's gotten a lot better over the years uh, towards the end of my time, uh, right when I was getting out in 2019, I'd say that I felt a little bit more comfortable about not that I needed to feel comfortable for other people, but it just was comforting to know that, you know, these outwardly, you know, you know, people that were openly gay and like letting people know that. And, you know, and then of course, um, when they, when it became legal federally and people could, you know, start having their spouses and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they could, you know, actually be families and stuff. So it's gotten a little bit better, but I'd still say that there's definitely animosity towards anyone that's not, you know, a part of the, the click. No, I think that's fair. And uh, especially now that I've gotten out of the military um, and I just, I'll, I'll probably just touch briefly on transgender stuff is I am my social skills with transgender issues are atrophied from being in the military for 20 years is what I'll say. That makes sense. Like, cause when was I, when was I around somebody that was transgender? Yeah. Essentially never. Right. Right. Never, mm-hmm. never. So yeah. now that I'm out in the real world with real people at work, the, like there's transgender people and I don't have a toolkit to like, I don't want to say function, but like, 
I am at a at a disadvantage social disadvantage yeah i really yeah. and that's yeah. not pity for me it's like clearly it's something i have to work on and get better about um but i i feel like transgender is the new sort of the next sort of issue being pressed because we've gotten better with bisexual gay lesbian um um inclusion we'll say in the military that now is transgender and it's not quite a protected class and it's getting all all those things but i think a lot of people in the military that joined the military recently they probably can't imagine an environment where um, homophobic slurs were flying around right right they probably can't imagine it but all you have to do if you can't imagine is imagine everything you hear about transgender people right now and just juxtapose it with gay or lesbian or bisexual Right. Because that's what it was probably like, right? Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think, I don't know why transgender equality is such an issue for, for people. I know that, I, I, I don't know why it freaks people out, but I just know that it does. Um, but it, it goes to show like the lack of will to change in society as a whole when it comes to that like i mean there's certain things still about racism that people are still not getting and mm-hmm. there's certain things about the lgbt community that people are still not getting lgbt community has, and transgenders specifically have suffered significantly and they suffered the most in the lgbt community over these years and they have fought just as hard if not harder than a lot of other people in the lgbt community for a longer period of time. I mean, it goes LGBT or transgender goes back. I mean, before the birth of this nation. So I guess, how did it feel to be bisexual and be constantly hearing slurs? So what I mostly got because I was bisexual was everyone wanted to know what girl I was having sex with Mm. and, you know, talking about like, let's do a threesome. That kind of shit. It was sexualizing you. Yes. And so that's what I dealt with most of the time. Um, but I did see to other to other uh, fellow LGBT community people. Um, I, I did see a lot of jokes, you know, like, oh, well, he's gay. He knows or, you know, just picking on them. And, you know, even if it was in a slight way, not necessarily like, well, you're you're a faggot or, blah, blah, you know, like mm-hmm. going off on them like that. But, you know, there was definitely not a lot of censorship or trying to, there wasn't, no one was trying not to discriminate. Because there was no accountability because a a gay person legitimately couldn't complain, right? Right. No, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, yeah, like that doesn't work. Like, well, why do you have a problem with it? Um, Okay, well, now I'm in a position where... I mean, you're in the military, you can't complain about shit anyway, but to be able to complain about your sexuality, you know what I mean? Like When you're barred from being that sexuality right. openly in the military. Exactly. I so mean, who can you go like, to? Just, I guess, I don't know, just juxtapose, what if people were dropping racial, like harsh racial slurs all the time? And not even like, sometimes it's, I guess sometimes it's playful, it can be playful, and sometimes it's genuinely bigoted. Right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. With the LGBTQ sort of slurs. Don't just replace it with racial slurs. Like, would that feel normal and OK to anybody listening? If somebody was just like, you know, disparaging yeah. black people broadly. Right. And, you know, you know, I, I don't want to fly. I don't want to fly a jet 
that was pre-flyed by a black person? What if a pilot came out and said that? Right. So. Because, I, I mean, it's it's all about what people think these what what people are. You know what I mean? The all of the arguments that I've heard about when it comes to transgender equality, you know, from the opposing side is usually, you know, about them being related to pedophilia mm-hmm. or how are you going to deal with locker rooms? And I was like, just it's, it was the same thing that people were saying before with, you know, the rest of us in the gay community. Just because we're gay doesn't mean we're automatically going to want to fuck you, dude, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like or, you know, someone else or of the same sex or whatever. And it's just this, uh, these assumptions of people that they don't know or understand is something well, that they don't understand. To, the gay people are here. Yeah, they're already here. They've been here. <laughs> they've been if they were if they're they going look anywhere. at you, if they were going to look at you naked in the shower, they've already they've already been doing it. They do it at the gym. They do it at like. Get well, over yeah, it. Especially if we're going to talk about the military, especially people were serving their country for, in all of these wars, whether they yep. were gay or straight, they just couldn't say anything about it. Yep. And I mean, that's been known for a long, 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 long time. But half the time, you're not going to know that they're gay because they can't say anything. And then it was the same thing with uh, same thing with the transgender people. Like, honestly, if they're post transition, you are most likely not going to know that they were a different sex prior to you meeting them. So, you know what I never did when I was in the military before doing that until I never um, curbed homophobic slurs in conversation. I mean, mm-hmm. I heard them, right? I heard them all yeah. the time. And never once did I, when I was in any position of authority, be like, hey, knock that off. Yeah. I never did it, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear of somebody saying knock, knock off that particular type of language? Like I did it with racial slurs. Nothing I hear racial comes, slurs. Yeah, like, well, you don't need course, to fucking yeah. say that. Yeah. You can pick another word. You can do anything else. Yeah. But I I don't ever remember correcting it for homophobic slurs. And I remember I don't remember anybody else doing it either. I can't personally like I can't really remember off the top of my head. Um, I know that I've checked it, but it was even after like I was a part of the problem for a long time, you know. And I feel like we kind of touched on this when we were talking offline before about, you know the F word that I just dropped, you know, faggot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a socially acceptable word for a very long time. I said it for a long I'm, time, yeah. Yeah, I did too. And I'm not saying that it's okay to say that. I'm saying that for those of us that have said it in the past, it's okay to recognize that it wasn't okay to say that and we don't say it anymore. I mean, yeah. most people don't say that word anymore in general. Yep. You know what I mean? But I'll tell but you what, I was I, the military was lagging on that too. I can't, yeah, but I was going to say, I can't say that I know anybody that stopped someone from yeah I don't know using those phrases and you also talked about you know when there was those two sort of lgbtq squadron mates or whatever and they would joke or they would be joking that really goes back to also that women in maintenance thing where you feel obligated to either let the questionable joke fly or the language fly because you don't want to be the person that now it has to stand up for an entire sort of uh, community in a hostile environment and create room, which means you let it happen, which means it'll slowly amp up because that's mm-hmm. the way these things work. Just yep. like sexual harassment, inappropriate jokes, all these things, mis- misogynistic sort of comments, all these things slowly amp up until somebody reaches a threshold and they, go, and they fucking, they had a bad day, they didn't get enough sleep and they're just tired of like this particular being needled every single day or whatever. 
and they flip out justifiably. And everybody's like, what the fuck? You were cool with it last week or, or whatever. Never mind the fact that those jokes kind of bring you into that tribal fold in the unit. So then you're in this weird position where you are, you know, gay or bisexual or whatever. And you're engaging in jokes that are basically, you know, harming your your community. And that's got to be a real sort of a feeling of almost betrayal or and it's like a survival. Like I need to function with these people. So I have to like compromise here. I'm glad that you said that it's definitely like a survival tactic um, to not say anything because you're instantly going to be ostracized. Right. Um, and if anyone does take your side, it's not likely that they'll say it out loud. Um, there was actually something that we talked about in uh, Green Dot towards the end of my time with them um, about, you know, implicit bias. You know, we talked about that a lot um, in, in Green Dot and uh, sexual assault, domestic violence and all that stuff. But it's not really talked about in a lot of other ways when it comes to, you know, people of color or, or just anyone that's different you know, you, you go from like the sexual jokes because that's part of the flight line and, you know, things get carried away, but no one really talks about how that affects other people in different ways. And that was one of those things is, you know, implicit bias applies to the, the, this subject as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one person who does want to speak up and say something like, maybe that's not cool. Even if it wasn't me, someone that might agree with me is like, yo, that's not cool. But they're not going to say anything either because they're also going to be ostracized. Yep. <clears throat> well, I think that's also where that a really powerful word ally comes from, where it's you're not part of this, but you can support us. And, and the more allies kind of join, then it, you start to it's a power shift from oh, yeah. those that are creating a hostile environment to now right. they are the ones that are you're on the outside looking in. They're creating space. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. For sure. And I would suggest anybody that is an ally to any cause to be that person to create space. And it's it's really hard to be the first ally to speak up. Mm -hmm. But someone has to yeah. <laughs> to create that extra little push and then it becomes normal socially to be an ally and to support those people in the create room, create room, create room, you know? Um, so here's my thought. How would I, as a heterosexual man, know any issues that a gay service member is facing unless I ask. And sometimes I don't even know what to ask. Right? Like, that's also why you're here. You're going to like present things that I didn't even know or think about or consider. And much like with the women's hair standards changing because we're getting more and more women senior leaders. What do we have for leaders that are gay in the military? So I don't, I honestly don't know. That's something that I kind of thought about too, because that's, in some ways, if you were to have like a group discussion or a group meeting or, you know, bring people together, have a conversation about it um, and putting someone on the spot is not the best, obviously, because that's it's different when you're asking like what you did at the beginning of this. You know, this it takes energy for someone who's from a marginalized community to speak on something like that or educate someone else when there's information and things like that all around, obviously we have a different connection. So it works out, mm -hmm. but in a work environment, that's really difficult because you have to really trust the people that you're coming out to when you're working with them. 
you know? And so I've thought about that before and maybe it was something along the lines of an amnesty box mm. or if we saw more people that were not heterosexual in the upper levels. But I guess, how do you get someone in the upper levels of military leadership when 10 years ago they could not be gay in the military? Right. Yeah, open, I, don't right? Even, I don't even know. Like, how long does it take to grow a general? Was it like right. 30, 35 years or something? Yeah. And then 35 years ago, they would, I think it was right when I joined the military in, uh, when I did like the latest in 1997, my recruiter had to line through a question that said, are you gay or have you done anything that was homosexual? He's like, oh, our forms haven't up updated. That's how new the ban wow. on, that's how new Don't Ask, Don't Tell was when right. I joined. So essentially, how can you how can you have a senior leader in the military right now if only 10 years ago they were allowed to say they were gay and 23 years ago, they weren't even allowed to be gay at all, even hidden. I don't know what they could do, though. I don't know if they would be able to do anything specifically right now to make a, uh, a clear space for people in that community within the military right now. I, I mean, I also don't know about any other branches and, you know, who's mm -hmm. out in those branches and, you know, things like that. I do know that, you know, we've got a new Congress member mm -hmm. that's LGBT and stuff like that. So that's a good start. It's getting, you know, some of our government, you know, caught up with that. So this brings me back to the whole diversity conversation about how if you were SECAF, you would do one thing. And if I was SECAF, I would do another, another, and much of it is informed by our life experiences and who we are and what we identify with. And going back even further than that, diversity is kind of a dirty word, right? Diversity implies you didn't get the job because of merit. You got the job because it's a, it looks good or I mean, you see it in TV shows all the time where they go diversity higher. They do it in air quotes because yeah. it's a so, joke. I think it's important, much like uh, men are feeling ignored right now over the beard stuff because we don't have a leader that has a lived experience with the beard, we'll say. I don't, I don't necessarily see diversity or not even diversity recognizing that diversity brings value to a person when they go into a position. I think it is, I think it is folly to go, what is their degree? What is their rank? What is, did they check these boxes? Cause never mind the fact, go back to the careerism episode yeah. and go back to volunteerism episode. And you can clearly see that we don't even select people based on good shit anyway. So don't, so if, if you're thinking we shouldn't consider diversity as a promotion or positional sort of a valuable asset because it's, it's frivolous or it adds no value recognize that we've now rested all of our promotions and positions on bullshit box checking and volunteerism and other crap that makes shitty leaders with no character. We'll say, because when I see, yeah. <laughs> when I see diversity, it's, it's, it's really fucking intangible. You, it's really hard to measure, but um, somebody that ha is a person of color might have had might have overcome a lot of real world shit that uh, a white person may never have had to face or overcome. And you don't necessarily know what they lived, but I do know they lived a different life and they're going to bring a lot of different perspectives and thoughts to the conversation, uh, to that leadership. That's where 
Women's hair standards are now at the forefront. Let's get that taken care of because this person has dealt with the same shit the whole time. So I see diversity when it's considered against all the sort of measurable things to consider somebody for a job. I see it on equal footing or even higher footing than all these other metrics that we use to decide if somebody should take a high position. I definitely think that uh, having a diverse community of people making decisions is more valuable than not, for sure. I guess here's a question. I wonder how many service members and veterans listening to this podcast right now wish there were more veterans in Congress. Oh, God, yeah, I bet. And, I why, do. and why do you think they want more veterans in Congress? For Because they served and they know what it's like and we want to be treated better and we want better benefits when we get out and not have to wait a year to get into mental health at the Or VA. maybe have less wars or all those things. Or to actually allocate money in the right places. Yeah. And, and the reason they want veterans to do it is because they don't think non-veterans can understand the lived experience of veterans and will be able to advocate for what they really need, right? Weird. Does that sound yeah. familiar, Ashley? It's so funny. Uh, I might have said something very similar in a lot of the videos that I did last year. <laughs> huh? Perhaps. I don't know. Maybe people will get it. <laughs> I hope they do. So... Because that someone... can be applied to so yeah. many different topics. And don't get me wrong, just because someone's a veteran doesn't mean they're not a piece of shit or a moron, right? But they at least have they an least idea have an of what it's like. Yes. And I'm not, they shouldn't get to Congress based solely on the fact that they're a veteran. But should it be considered to make sure that we have a diverse, should we have a Congress that's all veterans and no civilians? No. no. That Then we're not taking care of representing a large portion of the population, right? Right. Right. So what what you're saying is we need a Congress that's diverse. What? Is that what you're saying? That reflects the people of the country. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It doesn't seem so dirty anymore when we phrase it that way, does it? I, that's. I mean, that's the way I look at it. So we've already kind of talked about how the military was hostile to LGBTQ for a really long time. But I always felt that maintenance was more hostile. Maintenance is more hostile to everything. about everything. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> fair. Yeah. It's definitely. But there's also, I hate playing devil's advocate, but there's also that camaraderie because like, you know, even though that they were picking on that one guy or, you know, making those innuendos and dirty jokes with me and, you know, same thing vice with anyone else, I'm sure that works on the fight line and understands what I'm talking about. Um, there's still, there's still this camaraderie where they will take it. Like, it's like, I can pick on him, but you can't pick on him. Okay. So here's, yeah. here's how I'll phrase it. We've played cards against humanity, right? Ashley. And that yeah. game is racist and sexist and filthy and hilarious, right? Oh, God. It's everything and nothing is bad. It's and I played lots of game. horrible jokes. Oh, God, yeah. And you did too and other people mm -hmm. did. But we all knew I didn't think those things or feel that way. And it was trying to maximize the dark part or the how outlandish it could be. Or maybe right. just got like a perfect alignment of this card with this card and it lined up perfectly, right? Right. Have you ever played Cards Against Humanity with strangers? God, no, you can't. You can't, right? 
because the same thing about strip clubs because no one knows like are you act do you actually like want these things just you don't know like it's hard to be that dark with people that you don't know but what i would say is you're right in maintenance if you have a really tight crew and that's when we get into a tribal where they take care of you, you know they're just josh and they're having a good time they're, they're doing whatever and you feel comfortable to say stop and they'll lay off and that's a really important aspect too when you've created a trust where if you're having a bad day or you're wore out and be like hey i don't want to hear any of the go in the you know kitchen and make sandwiches jokes today i'm just not fucking feeling it i'm tired or whatever and they lay off they know to lay off because they want to take care of you the whole point of the joking is to lift your spirits not to degrade right. you it's a different yeah. attitude but the i would say the homophobic comments in maintenance were widespread and they gave no consideration for am i doing it to josh you and support you or am i just saying it because it's literally a part of my vocabulary to say something's lame is to call it gay right yeah that, and that's, that feels different and that's you know we come to that conclusion almost every time like context is important who you're around things of that nature we come to that all the time and then you can't just say whatever you want wherever you want whenever you know those i i think i said it before in and uh one of my videos as well like you don't you do that shit in your backyard when you're having your barbecue with your homies you know what i mean because you i know that with these people when I, I've said it again, some of my favorite jokes were sexist against women jokes. Some of my favorite jokes, because to me, they're outlandish. They're yes. ridiculous. That is not something you're that making even fun makes of sense. the racist people. You're not being racist is the joke. Right. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So it's just like it was ridiculous to me that, you know, you know, women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen or whatever. I was just like, uh -huh, yeah, yeah, like whatever. Um, I mean, well, I thought they were funny because I was like, that's I'm not. Well, it's also like there's there's Americans out there that are so fucking stupid that they devalue an entire gender to just producing children and cooking food. And these are the same people that uh, can't cook for themselves. Absolutely. And that's those yep. and that's when it's not like you don't say that shit at work, bro. Like when you're making jokes with your friends that are cute little personal, you know, inside jokes between the, you know, your group or your shift or whatever. But it, uh, same thing with like the, the grab ass that we talked about and, um, you know, the sexual harassment episode, um, you know, you someone new comes to the unit. You don't just walk up to them and, you know, yep. call them what you call this person. You don't just walk up to them and assume that they want to play the game, you know, like you. But you have to create a, a an environment for them to whether or not they want to play that game, you have to give them the space to decide that. And it's the same thing when it comes to, you know, marginalized communities at work as well. Like you don't say these things. It's dehumanizing. And you don't know that someone's going to take that personally or not. I'm going to tell a quick story. Um, and I'm, I'm going to use some harsh language, but it's important. To, it's in context. So when I was a section chief in 2013, uh, and this this story should speak volumes about the culture of maintenance. I got an email from tech school for a guy that had not shown up to my unit yet. And he said, hey, this guy is openly gay. I just want to give you a heads up that he's coming. Not to like, you know, uh, you know, be prejudiced against him, but just, right. hey, check your section's culture because right. yes. someone's coming in and I don't want you to get hemmed up, which was great. 
but also it spoke to they knew what type of environment was out in maintenance. Exactly, yeah. And um, about two weeks before he showed up and in process, I went to roll call and I gave a very explicit, detailed briefing about, hey, Don't Ask, Don't Tell has been repealed. We are, if either we have service members right now that are LGBT, probably not T, I didn't say T at the time because transgender was still, you know, not recognized as anything. Um, I, I'm sure I said we probably have some gay or lesbian uh, service members that might be here now that haven't come out, but also we could be, people could be PCSing in and we need to start changing what we say, changing our language. I said, you should not be using, and I went through like all the normals. I was like, look, I, I fuck up and I say these things sometimes too because I've been saying it for 17 or 13 years or whatever the number yeah. was. And I'm, I'm going to try to get better. We're going to screw up. Nobody's going to get in trouble for it, but we need to like make a conscious effort to start curbing this language. And the guy showed up and he wasn't, um, he, he wasn't closeted, but he wasn't like super overt. And he was a great dude, real good guy, hard worker. Um, and he seemed apprehensive about coming into the line. It's hard to tell because he was a new guy or hard to tell because he was gay. Right. And um, we had an ex, like his, his, his first fucking roll call. He's standing there like brand new uniform, got the, he looks like a new guy, got the reflective belt too high on his waist and he's clean and shit. Like you can just see new guy all over him. And our, our expediter walks in and just says, Hey, you faggots, you forgot to turn those tanks in to fuel shop. Oh shit. And I, and I said, and I'm not gonna use his name. I said, Hey, I said, I stopped him. I said, I just fucking briefed two weeks ago. You can't do this anymore. Yeah. He's like, what? I wasn't saying anything about gay people. I was saying these guys were faggots because they didn't turn the tanks in. I'm like, I can't, I can't, like, you can't do this. Yeah. It's, and I, and I, um, and I said, just not, yeah, I said, knock it off or something. I think he could see in my face that it was not just me talking the talk. It's like, this is serious and you need to like. Yes. And then afterwards, I went up to that guy and I'm like, I am so sorry. Yeah. And uh, he retrained, um, I think, like two or three months later. And um, it wasn't because of um, him being gay. It wasn't because of that. He had some other issues, but he, re he retrained. But all I could think of, and, and as I was preparing for this episode, all I could think of was I had someone in tech school email me specifically to tell me a gay person was coming. And I then briefed, we need to change our culture. And I went, we did all those steps and still I had someone walk in, drop an F-bomb. And then when challenged on it, defended its use. And it's like, no wonder nobody came out <laughs> that day after it was released. This is the culture we fucking created. That's like, and again, all I can think of is replace all of that scenario with a racial thing and everybody would be aghast like that can't be. And the reality is there's no there's no difference, except I think legitimately there's some people that see homosexuality as a moral failing or a character flaw, I think. Yeah, those ones I don't think we'll ever really be able to reach. But I think that in that moment for that dude, it's it's hard because like trying to look at things from back then to where yeah. we are now, like what people still fail to understand is intention versus impact. 
Yep. You know what I mean? He didn't intend to hurt anybody's feelings. He knew that when he said that everyone knew that they were, you know, he wasn't calling anyone that word specifically and trying to demean them or, you know, anything like that. But that it's, it does definitely speak to the the culture. Right. I think it, I think it goes back to. So but the also, impact of that is what's important is knowing that he felt comfortable enough still to say it. And I think it goes back. So I remember way back in 2003 or four, me and another guy were working on and we removed an EPU. We had to change the fittings over. And one of the fittings was in this really weird spot in like in the housing that was hard to get to. And I had gone off to try to find some special tools and I had come back and he had got it off. I was like, Hey, how did you get that off? And he said he N-word rigged it. And I'm, and I'm like, what? why the fuck would you say that word? And he literally looked around and went, there's no black people here. And I'm like, I don't no. fucking care. No. Like, there's a billion other, you can jury rig, you can say anything. You don't need to use that word ever. There's never a time where it's okay to use it. And I think it was very much a, when that when that expert walked in, he thought those words were okay to use because there was no, there's no gay people here. Hmm. And I think that, 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 we had gay people the whole time. Oh, yeah. But they were barred from complaining. And it created this atmosphere where there's no gay people here. Yeah. And we can say all of these words. None of these are off limits. Nobody's going to complain. We're all good. And it just self-perpetuates. Yeah. But again, that uh, speaks to the culture and the implicit bias because it's not just him. It's the environment. He feels comfortable being able yep. to do that. You know what I mean? And whether or not he intended to hurt anyone's feelings it still impacts the rest of the environment because now people still think that it's still okay to say that. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and then it just spirals out of control and we still have, you know, toxic ass environments where people don't feel like they can be themselves and express who they are. So and say that fucking don't say that shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I want to wrap up, but I want to try to put everything. I want to try to like a, do a, a summary. Yeah. So, I think we both found it interesting that men currently are frustrated that their issue, their a male specific issue, is being ignored because the people with power, or some people with power in this moment, are not their gender, and they have different lived experiences. And I think it's interesting. This is the first time that they get to experience that type of feeling. Yeah, and I, I bet I they, I bet they wish there was a man in the position. I think that's yeah, hilarious. I definitely don't revel in the idea that they're you know, suffering or whatever, because someone's not understanding something. But I will say that it's nice to see the tables turned and someone else having a taste of that experience. And we kind of walked through something similar with, we want more veterans in Congress so they can understand the lived experience of the veteran and they can make decisions that are in our best interest because non-veterans don't understand it. Right. Right. Um, I'll apply that to, to everything else, everything else. Yes. And I think the one of the final points I want to make is diversity has value. It's just really hard to uh, quantify that value. But I think the trick is, you know, not seeing diversity as a token or as appeasement to um, a gender or a, a, a group or whatever. Recognize it for what it is, that the more diverse your leadership, the people in power, the more diverse they are, the better outcomes you are going to get for everyone. But recognize that that output may not be beneficial to your 
sort of group. And that's why if you keep diversity high, everyone's equally represented. And then you're kind of uplifting everyone at once. Is what Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I, diversity is more important than it is not like you learn so much things happen for everybody there's equality all around you know there's equity like it's it's more helpful than it's not yep. it's something and it and it's not just at the leadership level it's something that needs to be represented everywhere yep okay uh do you have any final thoughts ashley because we're at an hour now happy pride hour. bitches <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And I'll also say, I'm probably going to put a disclaimer at the beginning, but also say um, me and Ashley had a long conversation about me telling that story. And I was really kind of, I didn't, and I, I still don't know as I'm, as I'm doing this now, I don't know if I'm going to like bleep out the use of the F word here because um, I used it a lot previously. And now I recognize that it has, it doesn't add value. But, um, you know, when I talked to Ashley, I was like, I think it's important to use the word because I think it's important to show how how that culture didn't restrict anything like that and how it was really thrown around. And um, I think it's a stark contrast to what I feel now. And I, I'd like to think the discomfort that I'm feeling now is is from my growth. And I hope anybody that's listening when they heard the F word being dropped, it made them uncomfortable too. Uh, hold that in your mind and recognize that prior to 2011, there was no discomfort for use of that word in the military. I want you to think about how hostile that must have felt for LGBTQ people. I want to add real quick because you said something I think that is so important. If it is not something that adds value to your life personally or professionally or in your relationships or whatever, what have you, if it's not something that adds value to your life, why are you trying to hold on to being able to say those words? Yeah. That's all I want to say about that. Okay. Well, Ashley, it was a joy. And we talked before this episode started and I'm looking forward to the next one. Maybe not the next one, but a future one we do. We've been coordinating and talking on that. I think that one's going to be really, really good. I'm excited. And I, I, I know you are. I got to do a lot of research. I can't show up to that one and just wing it. I got to be able to present a bunch of shit uh, and talk. And I've been taking notes as I've been thinking on it. So oh, uh, yeah. look out for a good episode with Ashley coming up in the future. But other than that, Ashley, it's always a pleasure. And check out her vlog and blog, The Diary of a Mixed Woman. I'll post a link in the comments on Facebook so you can check her out. And other than that, Adios. Ciao.